And second of all, we work with companies and we tell them like, look, they look a little bit different to you, that's true. They have a very unusual background, that's right. But uh, they are also, they are so eager to work. They're so resilient because they've been through so much that um, once you, you know, if you give them a chance, just an interview, talk to them, uh, you will, you know, you will identify, you know, what, that they might be a very good candidate for your company. On today's podcast, we're talking to Herman Benchy, the founder of Code Your Future. With such a high demand on skills and a limited pool of resource available, it's a wonder that people haven't looked at alternative solutions. Code Your Future is doing exactly that. Herman is taking his own personal experience to try and help refugees come into the industry and make a real difference. I have to be honest, today's podcast is genuinely one of the most inspiring that I've had the, the opportunity to record, so I hope you enjoy the show. As always, I'm David Savage. I'm your host for Tech Talks, the twice-weekly podcast offering insights from peers across the industry. Joining me on the podcast today is Evie Oros. How are you? I'm good, thanks. How are you? I'm looking forward to next week in Lisbon. Yeah, it's going to be amazing. Web Summit, recording an episode out there on Monday and then getting lots of little bits of content. Uh, And I'll probably be editing it from my bondage hotel. (laughs) bondage hotel <laughs> because uh my boss's pa has booked five of us into a burlesque and bondage hotel where you can buy bondage boxes as an extra with fluffy handcuffs and a whip oh my god quite, wow quite why she's chosen that i don't know it's an odd choice isn't yeah. it yeah different um do you think i should tell people where we're staying I guess it's too late now, isn't it? Well, it's going out really well, yeah. But whilst I'm interacting with them in a sociable setting in in Lisbon, it might sound like I'm inadvertently coming on to someone if I tell them that I'm staying in a bondage hotel in a very weird way. I think maybe try and stray away from it. See how the conversation goes. Such a great thing to say, though. Good icebreaker. Just to see what people's reaction is. I just... I mean, go for it. Do a trial run. Yeah. See how people react. Try on a few safe people that I know yeah, first. Yeah, and then if it goes down well, go for it. Keep keep telling people. Yeah, invite yeah. them back, show them around. I don't think so. <laughs> um, I love, though, that I am in this bondage hotel, sharing a room with Barney, who I've worked with for over 10 years, and it, it might not be a twin room. It might be. It might just be a double. <laughs> oh, no. That'd be crazy. Uh, sounds like a bit of an error. Yeah. Sure anyway, <laughs> uh, if you are in Lisbon next week for Web Summit, uh, don't worry, I won't invite you back to the Bondage Hotel. But <laughs> we're going to be sitting uh, at 11 o'clock on Tuesday and Wednesday in between the Artists Arena and Pavilion 1 on the benches. And we're going to do an open mic session, effectively. I, that's not me reading poetry, just for clarity. Good. No offence. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> You're very kind of good. Yeah. No, that's uh, that's an opportunity for anyone who is out at Web Summit and wants to talk about what they're up to and why they're there to come and uh, share that with our podcast audience. Could be fun. Just you're not gonna. You're just nodding at me now. Yeah, I I didn't know what else to say. Sorry. Fair enough. Okay. I think we'll dive into the interview. (laughs) Um, So this week with Koji Future, as we mentioned in the intro, uh, we'll dive into this. Stick with us. We've got some commentary and then some tech news later on in the show. So on today's show, we're joined by German. Um, hang on, I'm probably going to screw your surname up here. Be- Benchi, Benci, Benchi, Herman Benchi. It's complicated. Ah, Herman, of course. Yeah, you're, you're Latin. You're Colombian. Venezuelan. Venezuelan. 
If you don't mind explaining very quickly for people who don't know who you are, uh, you're the founder of Code Your Future. What or who is Code Your Future? So um, Code Your Future is a non-profit organization. We started pretty much nearly three years ago, mm -hmm. so third year anniversary. And um, we uh, support people from disadvantaged backgrounds, including refugees, um, by training them in programming skills and helping them start a new career in the tech industry. Right. Now, which is fantastic, but immediately I kind of think, okay, refugees probably don't have a huge amount of access to information, so how do you find them? Because I, I imagine that's an amazing, rewarding experience for them, but reaching out to that community and engaging with them at, at, in, in the first step must be a bit of a challenge in itself. Yeah, that's correct. It's And, and, and the fact that there isn't one refugee community, because the reality is like refugees come from many different countries. Mm. Um, and um, so, yeah, it's it's a whole task on its own to to reach out to, to them. So um, from the very beginning, we, um, we started doing a lot of networking. Um, I remember three years ago, I was like, yes, I really want to support refugees, but actually I have never met a refugee in my life. Right. So um, that, that was something interesting that, you know, you, you would see like in the whole discussion back then, you know, some people very wanting to support others, not so much. But the, the idea is like none of them, none of people um, have met many refugees. Um, and the reality is like social media was like a key, a key factor on that. Um, once you meet somebody that knows somebody that maybe, so for example, was a Syrian refugee, you know, that person was very well connected and already would give you a list of many places to go to. So that was one, one area. And the other one is that there are many NGOs, you know, some of them very well established who, who have been supporting refugees for a long time or other people, you know, people from other backgrounds. And so we, we approach them and, uh, and ask them, please tell them about our program. It might be um, just interesting to find out what the catalyst was, because you said yourself there that you'd, you'd never met a, a refugee, but you'd had that moment of wanting to help refugees. Yeah. So where, where did that come from? Um, well, I guess a little bit of my own background. I've been an immigrant for uh, nearly 15 years. Mm. So first I lived in Germany, then I, I, I moved to the UK. Um, I had to, I don't know how many visas I've had to renew in my life. When, when the refugee crisis um, was triggered or started, was all over the news four years ago, um, it, it really hit me to feel and to see people that were forced to leave their homes um, and, um, and, and to basically suddenly have to arrive, find a, a place of sanctuary, a place where they could feel safe. Uh, but knowing how difficult it is to, to go to a new place. Now, I have been very, uh, very fortunate. I, I wasn't forced to leave my country. Um, but around that period, um, there were lots of difficulties in, in my home, my home place in Venezuela, um, where lots of people were leaving the country as well, forced uh, due to the, to the economic circumstances. So um, I, felt, I felt very, very close to, to the whole situation, even though you know, I, I, I have never been through what they, you know, what, they, what they do as refugees, but I felt very close to it. I felt that something had to be done. Now, I imagine when you go and talk to prospective hires, clients, I don't know how you best, your customers best describe it, the people who are likely to, to take these people into employment yeah. at the other end of your course, that there's a huge amount of goodwill but at the same time, that's not always enough. And I imagine some of these companies say, well, this, this is great, but we haven't really got the bandwidth to handhold someone who's learning. And then 
you have the added issue, I suppose, that whereas some coding academies are looking at, let's take people who've done PhDs, they're English language students, uh, they might not be English, but they're certainly English language students, and they've got that theoretical knowledge. And I'm guessing with your cohort, they may not have any of that background and they may even struggle with English as a language. So how do you make sure that it's competitive? Yeah, definitely those are, those are issues that, that we face sort of like in a, in a general scale. Um, the first thing to know is that we, we have a very large number of applicants to our program. Right. Most of them don't, don't make it into, into the core of what we do. So we have an application process, a selection, where we identify those people that are genuinely wanting to get into the tech industry, who have the time, who have that, that sort of will and perseverance to, to make it through the program. So we already have, you know, are forced ourselves to, to filter those that are genuinely, you know, uh, with the right sort of set situation. So that helps us really already work with, with, with very good candidates. And then we have, you know, wide variety of, of backgrounds. We have people who, yes, some of them do not have formal education, um, but most of them or many of them have already some sort of a studies. And, um, and yes, the English language is an issue. Um, but our program is long enough so that you will see a quite significant improvement mm. both in their tech and their soft skills so that by the time they, you know, they start applying for companies, they're already much more equipped for, um, for, for the interviews and for the process. Now, that doesn't mean it's, it's, it's any easy. Um, uh, you definitely see, as you say, there is a lot of goodwill, but most of the goodwill is how can I help, but don't ask me to hire somebody. You know, how can I help by promoting it among our employees, promoting it among, among the, you know, our workforce, or you, you can use our space, but some more tangible actions is a little bit harder. Um, so we try to, what we try to, to do is, we, first we, we put a lot of effort on training our, our students so that they can be as close as possible to the level of the industry. And second of all, we work with companies and we tell them like, look, they look a little bit different to you. That's true. They have a very unusual background. That's right. But uh, they are also, they are so eager to work. They're so resilient because they've been through so much that um, once you, you know, if you give them a chance, just an interview, talk to them, uh, you will, you know, you will identify, you know, what, that they might be a very good candidate for your company. Now, you're a non-profit Obviously, you're dealing with people who don't have uh, access to, to funds of their refugees necessarily, so you can't charge them. What's the model? Uh, is it that the people who are hiring are paying? Is it that you've got grants or, or sponsorship from external? So not only, not only the course is free, but we cover um, all the expenses of our students. Mm. So many around 30% of our applicants do not have laptops or computers at home. Right. So we start with that. The, the very first part of the application process is over the phone. So you can do a little bit there. You can start learning the basics of programming with your phone. If you've shown you've made progress or you're really, really determined, we give you a laptop. It's a second-hand laptop, mostly donated by companies. So that's something that the company already can have a very clear contribution on that. The ones that they don't need anymore, we can use them. Um, and then once they're in the course, we cover their expenses. So not only the course is free, but you know they, we will cover transportation. We have uh, moms, so we cover the childcare if they cannot afford it. Right, okay. uh, we have meals uh, during the classes. 
um, and sometimes even the internet because they don't have internet. We work with people with very limited uh, financial resources. Um, not the whole class, but you know, a, a, a significant percentage. Um, so, so for us, the, the, the model is really just try to, um, to have different legs of how we can, we can support that. So we, have, we receive you know, around 30% of our operations are covered by grants. And then the rest is a, a combination of um, sponsorship from companies and then uh, uh, so the equivalent of education or recruitment fees when they when they uh, they get hired. If someone was to f- want to follow in your path, maybe not do exactly the same thing, but do do something similar. Yeah. How would you go about building those relationships with businesses and presenting that idea? Because mm-hmm. that that must have been a challenge for you, right? Yeah, it takes some time. I think it's it's. Um, um, you know, I'm a, I'm an immigrant here. I, I I didn't have a large network of of people that I knew at the beginning on this. But what you notice is you have you start with your limited resources, your limited network, but the time time is on your side. The more time you spend doing this and continuing to you know achieving some success then more people will start noticing. More companies will, will realize, oh, okay. Um, I never forget I had, I had a meeting once with a very large tech company. And, and then the person that I was talking with said, yeah, we don't really want to partner with you because we don't know if you're going to stay around for you know, one, two years you know, along the line. And, um, and, and to me, you know, one of the core ideas, like I want to build an organization that is resilient to, to most of the you know, financial cons- constraints that, you know, that, that it may happen and that it just continues, it stays, stays alive and it starts thriving and starts growing organically uh, so that then the companies then will say, okay, I, oh, I, I keep hearing about you. So after a while, maybe after six months, maybe even after a year, then they will say, okay, we can consider you again. Yeah. Um, so I think that's really important. You have to, um, you know, we're very, we're very fortunate that our, our organization is largely volunteering led. So people from the tech industry or from other, you know, professionals, they come and they want to give their time to us. So um, the vast majority of, of the effort is by people that want to do it. So that doesn't, that doesn't cost us financially anything it's about organization it's about 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 that networking and the more time it passes then you notice it so it, it starts um it starts feeling like it's something that is here to stay the way technology is covered in mainstream press at the minute is is rather negative um and yet here's an organization that is taking people from disadvantaged backgrounds and addressing the fact that there's a huge shortage and just opening up a new candidate pool and giving more diversity and inclusion to the industry. I mean, there must be some, some personal stories that you, th- you find incredibly rewarding. Oh, yeah, absolutely. It's like m- most of our graduates, they're like a, an incredible source of inspiration. Yeah. Um, should I tell you? Yeah, look, if you're by, by absolute, absolutely, um, there's one that sticks in mind. Yeah, th- there is one that you know, keeps coming to me, and um, it, it's, it's incredible. So we, we have one, um, one graduate from Cameroon, um, when he joined, um, when he applied to Code Your Future, he'd never written a line of code. Right. And um, he didn't, he, he only had like, he had like, um, he didn't have a proper laptop either. He had one of those sort of like tablets, yeah, tablets with a little bit of a keyboard. And he went through the whole application process like this. Um, he said, oh, this is so hard. This is, you know, I'm very slow, but he was so committed. 
and he was just you know like just determined to to make progress now you know for for us we can tell already that you know we don't mind somebody that takes some time to achieve a task because you know that their mind if their mind is really into this you know they will make it so when he 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 went he he was accepted and um you know very quiet person but just really working hard and he he started going through the whole program and learning the basics of front-end development so javascript then he started going through the backhand and everything was new and everything you know he kept saying oh my god this is so challenging this is so much this is so much but he kept going he kept making progress now towards the end of the program one day we were chatting and then he he starts talking a little bit about how it was when he arrived to the UK to London and he said yeah my the beginnings were really hard i spent one year homeless wow. and i was like what i had no idea we had no idea we we really we don't we don't we don't ask much about their backgrounds about their backgrounds cuz we know how difficult it can be but he said yeah it was i didn't know anybody i had no clue about anything so i was basically in the streets and then he found another organization that supported him to you know to get shelter and then he said okay i i need to change my life he was in a library once he saw somebody coding and and then and then he got very curious and he started finding a way how to how to do this and that's how he he came to code your future um and he always said i want to um I want to to do something where I can give back which to me is always so so interesting how give how, back to a society that to that point had failed him. Yeah, yeah. So he he always was, you know, he was always I want to help others that have been through my right, you know, okay. through my situation. So so he, you know, he went through the through the program then towards the end he was working on a tech project that was already a service directory uh, of NGOs that you know give them a, you know was he was already thinking okay this service director will help people like me because i had no idea where to go to so this can help me so he was working on that tech project and um and then when he graduated he was like oh my god it's going to be so hard to find a job isn't it so i know no no keep keep working keep keep doing it you can do it um and then then one day we were approached by an organization that um the ones that do the, the red nose day oh yes yeah come with credit comic relief they approached us to say hey we have this position but it's not a junior position it's sort of like mid level and then i said i told him you should apply and he was like no no i can't this is this is above junior i'm never going to make it it's like yes you can you've been working super hard you've been working in this tech project for a few months go for it and apply so he did uh, and then you know the, the story continues because he has his interview face to face but before that he had given a task he had to work on a project right on a, on a small you know tech tech project he had done it he had delivered he went to the interview super early so he sat in a cafe like nearby and he he kept working on the task even though he didn't have to but he just like he just he likes it so much he started working on it and he lost track of time so that he was late for the interview <laughs> And then you know the one thing we told him don't be late for interviews please don't be late don't be late um so so we thought that's it you know he's not going to have any chance however the the people interviewing they noticed that he kept working on this project you know that he was like so interested that he just making like pull requests and just changing code 
And then he was so apologetic. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. No, no, no. It's okay. Let's just go through the meeting. Um, and then we just, we didn't know what happened. But then we were like a few days later, we were, uh, we were together and he receives a call. And then he says, you know, they, they tell him, Comic Relief tells him, you have a job offer. Amazing. And then he just gets into shock. He just couldn't believe it. He was just, he could barely talk. And he said, yes, I accept. Yes, I accept straight away. <laughs> it's like, but you haven't seen like, how much is it going to be? No, no, it doesn't matter. I just really, I really want to, I really want to do this. And, and later he just, he could barely talk. Yeah. And those moments, it was just like this sort of like, you know, the culmination of so much going on. You know, it had been nearly a year since he had applied for Korea Future to that moment. And, and it was just like, when you see this, you know, in the, in the body, in the, in the gestures, in the face of a person who could not even imagine that he could get into, into a job like this, it's just incredible. And then going for comic relief, which is, you know, what he would, you know, he wanted to do, which is like, I want, I want to help society. You know, that, that was like, it's something that I just like, I keep thinking about it so much. I think that's a... A brilliant, uplifting place to, to finish the interview on. So thank you very much for your time. And fingers crossed there are lots more stories like that to come. Thank you. Thank you so much for your time. So, um, Coding School for Refugees, mm. which feels like something that we should be doing. But I guess at the same time, business normally would dictate, well, we need people now and we're not interested because they haven't got the skills. So yeah. it's kind of inspiring to, to hear that people are out there making sure that a course like this exists. Yeah, I think it's incredible what they're doing and the fact that so many people are willing to help and volunteer and, you know, give their time for free to help mm. um, because it's a massive issue. Yeah. And I think if you can help these people, they've had no other choice but to come over here. And how else are you meant to get started when you're so alone mm. and can't speak the language? And yeah, I think it's great what they're doing. Technology... I don't think we forget it, but technology is a, is a human industry, despite all of the gadgets and the innovations. Um, and it's, it's a human industry that is sorely lacking in diversity. But every single study you ever see shows that where you have a greater breadth of diversity, you have a more innovative, more mm -hmm. competitive, more high-achieving culture. Yeah. And there's these people who are in our country, um, not freeloading not what the narrative in the tabloids might suggest who just want to work and want to be given an opportunity mm. and it's yeah it's it's brilliant that someone like herman is out there uh and and that code your future exists and is facilitating those people to fulfill the opportunity that they want to yeah it's incredible and it's so inspiring and the fact that you know people are helping refugees to learn to code and you know actually start a whole new life and just like it just shows that how like motivated they yeah. are and it's amazing i one of the things that i particularly like about this is we often think about the digital digital economy and we talk about the fact that some people are locked out of the, 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 the digital economy can't get my tongue mm -hmm. around that um I love that they give people phones initially and that the mm. course is designed so that those initial stages can be done on quite low rent equipment. Yeah. You know, phones initially, see how they get on, then give them a second-hand laptop. They've done it in a way that 
is inclusive, properly inclusive, mm. and it gives people an opportunity. And I love that he talks about the fact that the programme is long enough to see an improvement. I think, you know, that that is a completely different dynamic. If you think about most, most other coding academies out there, and they are doing great jobs, but mm. if you think about them, they are condensed sprint courses of 12 weeks. Yeah. Because normally the narrative is we need to get you up to speed we need to plug the skills gap we need to make sure that there are people out there to fill the hundreds of thousands of unfilled vacancies mm. and it's all about speed 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 yeah and i yeah i genuinely admire that they've built a program that goes yeah all right but no mm. and it's at least helping like people's confidence and like language skills and so many things that you need not necessarily just to do your job but to get to the job in the first place mm. because if you don't have those skills then it's it's just not going to work i mean down to thinking about the fact that obviously there are mothers who would like to code so childcare costs yeah you know um and transport like and it was another podcast that you did a while ago mm-hmm. um and they were saying that it was like one of the biggest issues that the people can't afford oh, to, get to work yeah, yeah, yeah that's yeah. it and so that that helps with that issue as well, like transport costs to go to interviews and things. Yeah. What about this point as well that you know when when companies meet people, I, I like that he actually is bold enough to say they might not look like you. That mm-hmm. calls out the prejudice and the bias that unfortunately we we often have in in corporate enterprise. Mm-hmm. And actually, no, not just corporate enterprise. That's unfair. Actually, startups as well. Um, you know, they don't look like you. They have a different background. But just talk to them, just give them that opportunity. And I, I found it refreshingly honest for Herman to say specifically that and phrase mm-hmm. it that way. Yeah, and it's calling people out, isn't it? It's like, you really want to help. It's like, this is a way you can really help someone and change someone's life. Like, give them a chance. Mm. And yeah, just because they're not like you doesn't mean they're not going to be just as good or better than you. Yeah, absolutely. And that human interest story at the end, I mean, that... That brings everything into sharp relief. That mm. that you know, it's all very well sometimes talking about how these programs might work and whatever else. But that story of someone who's come across from Africa, from Cameroon, mm. looking for a job, literally saw someone coding in a library and had curiosity yeah. and was so eager to learn and, and, and what that's now resulted in. I mean, I, I defy anybody to listen to that and not go, I want to work with this company. Yeah, that was incredible what he managed to do. Yeah, and especially in a market where. You have worked in the software development market. It mm. is impossible oh, to find people. Hard. <laughs> it's very so hard. if you've got someone who's willing to go to those lengths and it makes such a difference to them, why on earth would you not want to help them? Yeah. And give them the opportunity to do something amazing and like become so great at their job. Yeah. It's And I feel like a lot of places will expect people to just immediately be the best of the best, but... Mm people need a chance to learn and grow at the same time and it would be good if places would offer that mm, mm. and look one of the other final lessons that i wanted to touch on that i think i think is really good of, of herman to, to, to touch upon you know he started with a limited network but time is on your side people mm-hmm. again want success overnight they want to suddenly have reach into a community um but you know, over time, more and more people noticed. And you know, he, he said he had a he had a meeting with a large tech business, and they said, "Well, we don't know if you're going to be here in two years." So mm-hmm. he understood that resilience was something that was going to make those companies take, stand up and take notice. And 
again, it, it's, it's, it's a testament to the fact that just sometimes if you care enough about something, it might take you time, but it's mm-hmm. worth working out. Yeah. Yeah. And it clearly is. So. Yeah. Anyway, look, um, an amazing contribution to the series. Thank you very much for coming on, Herman. Code Your Future are obviously doing amazing work, so please check them out. We will share links below in the show notes, but we're going to go to a short break. And after that message, we'll be back with a piece of technology news. Once a month, Tech Talks opens The Tuck Shop, a YouTube tech news roundup, which is kindly carried by Disruptive Live. Disruptive Live is the UK's first and only 24-7 TV channel for the technology industry. Stay up to date with all the latest industry news by following our regular talk shows broadcast live across the Disruptive Live website and social media channels. You can also catch Disruptive Live at some of the largest global technology events, broadcasting from London, Manchester, Singapore, Dubai, and many more. Welcome back to Tech Talks. Uh, A bit of technology news for your Friday. Labour calls for a halt to Google's acquisition of Fitbit. Do you have a Fitbit? Oh, no, I don't. No? No. You use any kind of exercise tracker? Mm, No. My Pure Gym app, does that count? (laughs) It tells me how many classes I've been to. Not really. That's about it. I mean, so look, this, this is an interesting story because it is primarily Tom Watson who is urging the com- competition regulator basically to investigate what he's describing as a data grab by a tech company. And this is interesting because he is talking about this being more than just an acquisition. This is not just a financial acquisition of one company going, right, we have the platform to collect, to collect kind of data, but we don't have hardware. Mm. So therefore... Or, or like, I suppose you could liken it to Apple Music buying Beats because they wanted to have a piece of equipment that complemented the, the platform that they already had. Yeah. Um, but this is them buying a piece of hardware device that collects data. And Tom Watson is suggesting that this is far more about that data than it is having a commercial revenue and stream. Mm. That's interesting, that is, because... I guess you can see both sides because at the same time it is just a piece of hardware but they will have access to so much more personal data about people. So he talks in the article it talks about you know I've long been concerned about the data monopolies that dominate our tech markets these companies hold and gather unprecedented amount of data yada 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 they've run rings around regulation for far too long this is not just a business deal it's a data grab it should worry us um, if the acquisition were to proceed, sorry, I'm paraphrasing vast chunks of this. Mm-hmm. If, the, if the acquisition were to proceed, Google could have the information on how we sleep, how we move, how we eat, on our breathing and our heartbeats. And I suppose, therefore, you kind of go, all right, well, Google are already involved in DeepMind and therefore they're already involved in healthcare. So they're kind of putting all the different constituent parts together to be able to go, this is a complete picture and we're in all of these markets that makes it very difficult for anyone in the same way that Amazon are in so many different markets, anyone to really compete. And yeah. if they do try and compete, it's very easy for Google to muscle them out the market. Yeah. Um, You've got everything. <laughs> yes. So I do understand what Tom Watson's saying. But I don't think it's up to governments to regulate. I, I, we've said this on the podcast a few times recently, mm. but I just feel that if it were down to um, policymakers, 
elected policymakers, they'd probably get the policy wrong and it would probably be short-term policy. Now, I don't necessarily think that's the case with Tom Watson. He's in opposition and he's also a bit of an outsider in the Labour Party at the minute. I think, you know, he's always been someone who's kind of been quite impassioned and, and had his had his own personal agenda on, on, on his own morals. Um, but we do need to carefully think about how big tech is operating because you can very quickly see how they can stitch together a picture that is very difficult for anyone else to, to kind of stand up to. Yeah, and I guess, but I guess it is partly that is government job to stop monopolies and companies from becoming too is it, big. But then is, I, is then it the government's job, or is it the government's job to create something that they then give power to? Anyway, I think with that we should go into the weekend. Uh, any plans? Um, fireworks. For, oh, of course. Yes, and Halloween things. Halloween yeah. things. Yes, is Halloween. Good. A thing now as the American like for me, mm. I carve a pumpkin. I put it outside the house. I get lots of knocks on the door. Yeah, I like carving pumpkins. It's normally just like house party or something like that. House party for Halloween. Weird. Yeah. I guess I'm getting old. Right. <laughs> uh, anyway, have a lovely weekend, and uh, yeah, I'll talk to you from Lisbon next week. Um, hopefully, not tied up. <laughs> Bye.